You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets, and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. What do you think for a moment? What is your favorite Christmas song or hymn? Uh, You don't have to be a Christian to realize that there's something special about this time of year because we even label music that's unique for this time of year. We talk about Christmas music. We talk about holiday music. That that seems to speak somewhat of what is the significance of of this time of year. Uh, We've been going through the Psalms looking at what do the Psalms teach us about Jesus Christ? And this morning, my goal and desire would be that after studying Psalm 98, that this will be on one of your top five Christmas hymns or songs, because it is a a psalm that speaks about the song of salvation. And so let's take a closer look at this particular psalm. Uh, By now, you know the first thing you should do when you get to a psalm is maybe look at the title of it, if it has one. Uh, Look around it to see what the other psalms are about. Uh, And so to help you in that, you'll notice there really is no title for this other than the simple words, this is a psalm. It it is a song. It's intended to be used in worship. What's around this psalm is interesting in that the previous seven psalms are all kind of royalty psalms, like they emphasize God as the king. And now you move to this psalm, which certainly focuses now on responding to that God who is king and and praising him and worshiping him. You probably noticed when it was read, there is no explicit mention of Jesus Christ in the psalm. And yet I hope to show that it psalm is all about the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So it is a very fitting psalm for Christmas. It is a Christmas song. It is a song of salvation. So you'll notice it divides nicely into three stanzas. And that's why typically in your Bible, you see a little bit of a space there. You have verses one through three, four through six, and then basically seven through nine. So in these three stanzas, we're going to build on three different principles. The first one is simply joyfully praise God for who he is. 
joyfully praise God for who he is. And we'll see how the psalmist leads us in that thought. Notice the titles that appear in Psalm 98 that demonstrate to us throughout the psalm the focus here is on who is God. And we know that fuller explanation we have of the Trinity through the New Testament that we're referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who, who is this triune being? Well, notice, if you would, verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Then you're going to notice in almost every verse you have the reference to Lord. It appears again in verse 2, the Lord has made known. Then notice, go down to verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord. Verse 5, make music to the Lord. Then again in verse 6, we have two titles, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. And then it ends in verse 9 with referring to, let them sing before the Lord. And we always want to stop when we see names for God to think about what, what's the purpose that God revealed himself by that name. And so Lord is the title Yahweh. It's the covenant-keeping name of God. Uh, even today in Judaism is a name that is not to be recited, uh, but, but written in such a way that you leave out some letters so you're not guilty of pronouncing it and taking God's name in vain. It, it is a sacred, a holy name. And the psalmist is using it here to say, this is the one that we are to joyfully praise because of who he is. And so as we consider that, notice, as I said, in verse 6, he says, not only Yahweh, but then he adds that he is the king. He is the ruler. And that fits perfectly in with the preceding psalms that were emphasizing the, the sense of royalty psalms or enthronement psalms, that God is on his throne. And so we should be joyfully praised for who he is. But there's a second title, if you would. Notice verse 3. Referring to God, it says, He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Uh, this is a different Hebrew word. It's the title Elohim. So he is Yahweh, but he's also Elohim. And Elohim draws attention to him as creator. So if you were to go back and look at Genesis 1, all those references in creation to, and God created, God made, that that's a reference to Elohim. And already you have embedded within the scriptures subtle allusions to the Trinity. So for example, the title Elohim is plural. And yet there's only one God. But this is the only title used for God that is plural. Emphasizing the richness of his majesty. And again, bring us back to first who he is. And that should be the characteristic that we come to worship in. We come to worship first and foremost, joyfully praising God because of who he is. But the psalmist does something else along that same line. You'll notice he's referenced a number of attributes of God to remind us of who God is. Now, notice this was meant for worship. This would be a part of the people of Israel. Their worship would be to sing this psalm. And yet he finds it not unusual to say, you need to remember 
who God is. And I think that's true for every one of us in Christ. There, there are times every Sunday, every time we open the Word of God, we need to remind ourselves, who, whose presence are we coming into? Who, who is this God? And so notice some of the attributes that come out here. Again, look at verse 1. He has done marvelous things, emphasizing the power of this God. Because whenever you see phrases in the Old Testament like mighty acts, marvelous deeds, it's, it's saying underneath that, this is nothing that you could do. This, this is only something God could have done. So his power is emphasized in verse 2, in verse 1. Notice verse 2, he has revealed his righteousness to the nations. Now the word righteousness simply means standard. So God is the one who sets the standard for truth because he is truth. So that speaks of his holiness, his perfection. Again, drop down to verse 3. He remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Now we have God's unchanging character. Not only his love, but his faithfulness. He, he keeps his promises. So you may have caught in Mary's song of praise that we read earlier before the lighting of the candle that she rejoices in what God has done. But she rejoices in the fact that God kept his promise. A promise made thousands of years ago that now is going to be fulfilled in the child that the Holy Spirit will give her. She was proclaiming God's faithfulness, his grace, and his mercy. And so there we have a glimpse of, of God in his perfection is faithful. But continuing down to verse 9, notice he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. Not only is he righteous, but he is a just judge. He is a perfect judge because he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. So he cannot be swayed by or manipulated. Uh, he is completely impartial based on the condition of our hearts. And so he is a God who judges. You wrap all that up in verses 4 through 9, which basically say he is worthy of praise. Not, not just from you and me, but he's worthy of praise from all creation. You may recall the interesting comment that Jesus makes as he is winding his way into the holy city, the beginning of Passion Week, uh, and the religious leaders are furious because the disciples and others are, are calling him son of David. You may recall what Jesus says to them, look, even if I told them to stop, the rocks themselves would cry out that he is so worthy of worship. Which brings us back to our point here that we are to joyfully praise God for who he is. Listen again to, to Mary's song, if you would like to turn there in Luke chapter 1, and verses 46 and 47 as that begins, Luke 1. Uh, and you may have a note in your Bibles, this is often called the Magnificat. Uh, that comes from the Latin word for magnify or glorify. So listen to how that song begins, just in verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul 
glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And notice where the emphasis is there, is in who God is. He is in my God. He is in God, my Savior. Now, we fully know that Jesus Christ is a distinct person from the Father, but co-equal, co-existent with the Father and the Spirit. And this would explain why in the Gospels later on you have Jesus preparing his disciples for his death, and you have Philip say something like this, well, well can we see the Father? You know, will you show us the Father? And Jesus simply says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So everything David has mentioned in this psalm describing God is accurately applied to Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is a song appropriate for Christmas. It's a song of salvation. But let's go back to Psalm 98 and consider not only that we should joyfully praise God for who he is, but secondly, joyfully praise God for what he has done. Joyfully praise God for what he has done. And I think there is a strategic order to this. We first come to God just simply acknowledging and humbling ourselves before who he is. We, we don't worship him just because he gives us things. And sort of think, when you receive a gift someone maybe this Christmas, hopefully your response isn't just, good, I'm glad you got me something. But it's the love of that person. It's from the person who gave it that is more important than, than the item given. So we are to joyfully praise God. Secondly, though, for what he has done. And this psalm reminds us of that. Notice as you consider this in the opening verse, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. David points to people and says, look back. Look back at what God has done for you. And the Old Testament is filled with examples of all the different situations where God has saved his people from physical enemies, from circumstances, from whatever we may look at there. He has done marvelous deeds. He has provided for them. He has protected them. He has watched over them. And this would be a good opportunity as we're reflecting on this psalm. What are the ways and things in our life that God has provided? Where there's no way we can take credit for these things, whether they be our spouses, whether it be the homes we have. Yes, we worked, we had jobs, but, but ultimately, isn't that attributable to what God has done? And we're not just limiting this, and certainly the psalmist is neither, just to physical blessings, as we'll see. But he has done marvelous deeds. And this should be a part of, we look at who God is, but then we step back and also say, let's look at what he has done for you and for me. So verse 1 is past tense. Look at what he has done. But then notice verse 2 says, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness 
to the nations. So two interesting verbs. He has made known and he has revealed. In other words, he's, he's put this right in front of us. And reading that psalm, we can kind of think now, well, how would we view that from the other side of the cross now with the New Testament? We see what he's talking about there, what is kind of outlined in a shadow, is isn't Jesus Christ the way that God has made known his salvation? That, that he took on flesh, he came and lived among us, that, that we have undeniable evidence of how much God loves us and the cost to be able to restore us from our sin. So we've moved just from physical blessings to now the greatest spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus. Many of us are so familiar with the Christmas story that we probably pass over different details. Um, but notice a very interesting detail in Matthew's gospel. He talks about the Magi, the wise men who come. And if any of you recall the situation, they come and they, they say to Herod and those when they get to the city, uh, we're looking for, and any of you remember what they say? We're, we're looking for what? Do they say we're looking for the one who will be king? Or do they say? Yeah, they say we're looking for the one who is born king. I kind of think about that. You're typically made king, even in royalty, if I have this correct, and my wife would know better than me, someone who's in line for the throne is not king, they're a prince. The Magi say we're coming to the one who is born the king of Israel. Compare that with a passage here, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 3, where Paul uses language that picks up with this note of God has revealed and God has made known salvation. So in Romans chapter 3, we'll look at verses 21 through 24. Paul is talking about how we're all sinners. And then he gets to verse 21 and says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then just flip the page to Romans 5 and verse 8. There Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the fulfillment of Psalm 98 saying, He will make known his salvation. He will reveal it. It will be in plain sight. And that's precisely what we see fulfilled in the New Testament and the first advent of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we all have our favorite Christmas song or hymn, uh, and I'm sure you maybe have your favorite Christmas special or something you like to watch. Well, I should tell you, my, one of my favorites is simply Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. 
But I have to admit, as, as interesting as it is, and I do like it, it's not really biblical for, for this reason. In that, in that, Scrooge kind of experiences these things, and then he wakes up, and now he's a good person. He, he wants to give good gifts to everyone. But the message of the Bible is actually the exact opposite of that. The, the message of Christmas is that God came down to a people who can't do good and don't want to do good. And so he has to save us from our sins. So what a way to remind us, we, we should look back at what God has done. But by looking back also helps us to look ahead to what is ours in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. And so we, in one sense, have a much greater advantage than the psalmist here, because we see how this was fulfilled in our day through Jesus Christ. The psalmist is looking through the lens of history, seeing things moving that direction, but not seeing the fulfillment of those. But let me take you on an, another little exercise here, and that is sort of comparing Psalm 98 with, math, with Mary's song in Luke 1. And you don't have to turn back and forth, but I'm going to give you some interesting parallels between these two really songs of praise that, that both are praising God for who he is and also praising God for what he has done by both looking back and, and looking ahead and anticipating. So, for example... Uh, kind of listen and think of this almost as an echoing. Like, like David's psalm is written centuries before. Mary, who more than likely would have been very familiar with the psalms and maybe even had this psalm in mind as she lifted up her song of praise. So, for example, Mary's song begins with, My soul glorifies the Lord. Psalm 98 begins with, sing unto the Lord, a new song. That is kind of interesting. Why is this a new song? You know, we had the song of Moses when the people were delivered out of Egypt. We have other occasions that are celebrated with songs. But, but there's something here that this is a new song. It, it's pointing ahead to, we would say, the, the ultimate song of salvation in Christ. There's another parallel. Mary says that she is thankful and magnifies the mighty one who has done great things for us. David, in verse 1, says he has done marvelous things. Third, think of this. Mary says, referring to God, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. David, as you'll notice in verse 1, says his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Both describing this being a work of God and God alone. No, no credit, no grounds for boasting for any of us that it's initiated, it's carried out by God. And then finally, notice in Mary's song, she says that he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And then you notice that David speaks here in this psalm in verse 3. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. 
What, what a picture of weaving those two songs together to say they're both fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we're well aware that the holidays and Christmas can be a very difficult time, uh, even for many Christians. Uh, it's a time where maybe you're more aware of loved ones who are now in the Lord's presence or no longer with you. Uh, it's a time when sometimes you may be more keenly aware of relationships within a family that are strained and distant. And so it can be difficult. And there can be pressures that we all deal with, maybe in particular at this time of year. So we don't want to ignore the last three verses of this psalm. Because here it tells us that we should joyfully praise God because of what he will do. Not just who he is and what he has done, but now what he will do. And so you notice, first of all, it says, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The rivers clap their hands, the mountains sing. Let them sing before the Lord. So you have the use of personification here. Things that are inanimate being described as being able to do things that only we can do. In other words, where is this going? We can joyfully praise God, even in the midst of trials and difficulties, because we know one day all of creation will submit to his lordship. And that's what this psalm is saying. Look ahead to what is unseen, but yet certain, that is before us. The sea and everything in it will, will worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 9. He says, For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And that might sound to us, that doesn't sound like a Christmas kind of theme. But that is the ultimate end of everything. Our, our Christ will return, not now as a infant, but as a triumphant king, fully God and fully man, perfect, glorified, and he will establish a new heaven and a new earth. So the song that's being sung here is actually not a song that everyone can sing. It's a song that only those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can joyfully sing. Everyone will recognize Christ's lordship, but those apart from Christ will do so only in judgment, only in condemnation, whereas we as his children will rejoice. Sin and death will be no more. And isn't that part of the chorus that we, we had just sung earlier this morning about the anchor, about anticipating going home? We're kind of saying we can praise God joyfully now, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of stressful things, because of what God has promised he will do. Let's look at one final passage in Revelation chapter 21, which takes us to that scene. Again, that is not yet, uh, but in reality, it is certain. Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 through 5. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Just count up the number of times in that brief passage you have the word new. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's a new order. Everything is new. That's the assurance of what God has promised he will do. As so Psalm 98 takes us through that whole range of, of joyfully praising God, a song of salvation. Now, we opened our service today with the singing of Joy to the World, uh, written by Isaac Watts, who was called the father of English hymnody because of the number of hymns that he wrote. Uh, but you may not be aware that Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World based off of Psalm 98. And he was writing that primarily not to talk about Christ's first coming, but his second coming. Because you may have noticed in the refrain, we talked about how the, the rocks and the hills will repeat the sounding joy. That's not true right now. But it is true for what the one who is merciful and faithful has promised that he will do. So hopefully now, when you read Psalm 98, you'll think about Christmas. And maybe this will be moved up on your list. Maybe even to the top of one of your favorite Christmas songs or hymns. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for directing our attention off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and onto the one who not only created everything, but has demonstrated his love for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.